happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday, everybody. I'm Holly Fry. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. We hope you've had a delightful week. Uh, this week, we talked about Isabella Lucy Bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to laugh just because she is really, really tricky to unpack. There are a few things that I wanted to mention. One is, if you read that Anna Stoddart biography of her, there really is an awful lot of fun writing about weird little vignettes in Isabella's life that never make any of the major, like, you know, if you read an article about her in a a travel journal or a scientific journal, etc., But, like, there are gems, like, apparently she allegedly thwarted an assassination attempt at one point. What? Because she got into a cab, and apparently at this point uh, in, I believe she was in London at the time, it was common for people to, like, throw kind of a packet of papers that were advertisements bundled together into cab windows as people were getting in them. Um, And she realized that there was already one on the seat, but in fact it turned out to be papers about this assassination attempt, which she then brought to the authorities and allegedly had her, um, her, the place where she was staying guarded that night because there was worry that she was in danger for having been part of the, there are a lot of stories like that that are completely unsubstantiated, uh, that make me wonder if Isabella Lucy Bird wasn't just a really good storyteller with her friends. (laughs) because they, things like that come up over and over. The other thing that I wanted to mention, we continued to call her by Miss Bird throughout, even though she did get married and became technically Mrs. Bishop uh, in her uh, late 40s. 
This is something that also kind of was the case with her work. Um, she continued to be known by Bird because that was her established professional name as a writer. Her name often would appear as Isabella Bird with in parentheses Mrs. Bishop or Mrs. J.L. Bishop next to it, um, which is just an interesting thing. But it seems like Mrs. Bishop feels like a weird name to call her to me. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing I wanted to mention, we talked about it a little bit in the episode, that these letters that she would write back to Henny were dense. Like, there, I ran across a photo of one of the originals, and I was just like, holy crap, how could anybody ever read this? <laughs> because it is like, not only is it, um, she has a handwriting that is not especially easy to read, mm-hmm. but like... There's no spaces between the lines. It's like the way she's writing in cursive, the line underneath the one before it is crossing over the one above it just a little bit. And it's like that throughout the entire letter. Like, it's very cramped. And she wrote long letters. There is a story of one letter that she wrote to a particularly um, important person in a leadership position that was allegedly... 116 pages or something. My goodness. And I think nobody read that letter. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine writing? I don't remember if that was to John Murray or if that was to like a, a leader of a foreign country, but I just can't imagine thinking anybody would want to hear 116 pages of my writing in a letter. <laughs> no, that's a lot of pages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's fascinating. And it, it's tricky, right? I wanted to be very careful about how we talked about her various medical issues and how she portrayed them. And hopefully we didn't, uh, you know, do anything clunky or missteppy there. It's very it's very difficult because you want to be f- f- sensitive to, like, the, the modern audience and, and how much more we know about how these things work. But also, you're working with someone who talked about all of these things in a a very old school way that is not as enlightened. Yeah. Well, and then so often when we're talking about figures from the past who are described as, like, in quotation marks, poor health, like, so- sometimes it's like, it's so unclear what was actually going on. And, you know, it's, it's the folks that I know today who are who are chronically ill will describe themselves as chronically ill and will, like, name their specific illness if they know, like, if there's been an actual diagnosis. Because sometimes those are also very difficult to get a diagnosis for. But, like, sometimes we're looking at folks in the past and it's like, well, they were, they were tired a lot. <laughs> they, they seemed not well. And it's like, that's all. We don't really have anything to go on. Um, yeah, and there's all kinds of explanations for that that range along a spectrum that includes like a chronic illness that nobody had a name or diagnosis for at the time, but also includes things like you were living in a repressive society where you were not allowed to have a job or be educated. Right. Uh, yeah, I read one um, brief piece that brought up the question. This is very speculative, so please know I'm not saying this is the case, but it, it was an interesting thing to think about that brought up the point that her illnesses started to manifest after Henrietta was born mm. and wondering if there wasn't, at least in childhood, an element of feeling that she had lost her attention base in her parents because now they had two kids to split it between 
and that she was in some ways using various complaints as a way to put focus back on her, Mm -hmm. Uh, which kids do. I mean, that's not an uncommon thing to happen uh, in in families when the dynamic shifts in that way. Uh, But we can't, again, it's the same problem. We can't ever really know because there's no doctor to go back to and in fact, even any records to go back to and be like, was this true? Did she have actual symptoms that you recorded and noted? Did you? We don't know. Right. We don't know. Most of what we know about Isabella Lucy Bird is what Isabella Lucy Bird told us. <laughs> yeah, what she wanted us to know. Right. One of the episodes we did this week was about Wu Lianda and the uh, Manchurian pneumonic plague epidemic that started in 1910. Super fun topic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when the pandemic first started, I, I consciously avoided, uh, doing episodes that were, like, specifically about a terrible disease outbreak, just because it felt like everyone was under so much stress about it, that I was like, there's stuff we can do that's relevant, that does not feel like it is also going to be traumatizing for no reason. (laughs) Um, and now it is however many months later. We're recording this on July 21st. And uh, I kept coming back to this this particular topic, um, both because his life and work are so interesting and so important to the overall idea of, of public health in China, and also because I kept hearing just the little piece of the story in other podcasts that were um, about masks in general, one of the things that really came across to me as I was researching this is how similar this 1910 epidemic uh, is with what is happening right now in terms of people having to figure out what was happening and what would work and what wouldn't as they were going. Because it was like, it started out with everybody being like, all right, plague. Plague is spread by fleas and rats. We got this. We know how this goes. (laughs) Uh, it was not being spread by fleas and rats. It was being spread by coughing. Um, and then a lot of the response that was happening among people, like the people who were being quarantined and the people who were being told, no, you cannot go visit your family in another town, um, like not understanding why and not wanting to do it. One of the later ep- epidemics that uh, that Wu was involved in helping to control, which we did not get into at all, Um, There were incidents of, like, plague enforcement people being kidnapped and riots over quarantines, and um, they distributed something like 60,000 masks to people, or distributed masks to 60,000 people. I'm not actually sure which way that went. But a lot of the same, like, people pushing back against being given public health directives that were going to uh, upend their everyday lives. Yeah. I, um... I will tell you the thing that I chuckled about perhaps most in this episode, which has very little to do with the actual epidemic we discussed. I suddenly was thinking how it might be kind of lovely to have a plague doctor's mask filled with garlic. (laughs) (laughs) I do love garlic. Me too. There's nothing better than roasting garlic and smelling it all over the house. Yeah. For me. Um, Yeah. I guess if you don't like garlic, that would feel different. One of the things about those plague doctor outfits um, that I kind of went down a rabbit hole on 
but and I was not able to get a satisfactory solution because there's so much writing about it that's meant for a popular audience that's like kind of a surface level read on stuff. Um, number one, sometimes people associate those plague doctor masks with the Black Death, but really that that was much later. Uh, the the pointy beaked plague doctor masks. And the other thing is a lot of the visual references to those masks were meant to be satiric. Like, this was a satirical drawing. (laughs) So it's like, what, okay, what did they actually look like if this thing was satire? And I think a lot of times some of those illustrations that were meant to be satire are used as illustrations on articles about the Plague Doctor costume without acknowledging it, which sometimes makes me wonder, did the writer of this article in, like, a popular website know that that was supposed to be satire? And I don't know the answer. Um, I'm looking for extant examples. There is one that looks almost like a hybrid um, of the early, early, early diving apparatus, but yeah. like a leather full head gear with the the sort of peplum flange on the bottom that covers the shoulders. And it looks more like a pointy beak, like you would see, like a straight ahead pointy beak. And it, it does have a beak. Mm-hmm. Well, and you would need some kind of protuberance if you're going to stick a bunch of garlic up in there. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it seems like there were some a little like that, but the ones we usually see are more extreme examples. Yeah. This is from, one is in the Berlin Museum. Uh-huh. And one is in the, I'm, go, I'm reading this off of a, a, a historian's blog, so I'm not, like, ba- verifying any of this in real time. Um, and one is in the Ingolstadt Museum. And they both look pretty much like that. Like, they have, uh, interestingly enough, and this could be the ravages of time, instead of the beak pointing down, it, it uh, tapers and moves slightly up at the end. Oh, funny. But again, that could be just how it shifted in shape over time. Yeah. Uh, One of the other things that I saw a lot in popular writing about this topic was people describing Wu's mask as the precursor to the N95. And I'm like, that only makes sense if what you are saying is that it was used to try to prevent the spread of illness. Right. That's a big leap in between those two. Yeah, because the whole thing about the N95 is like, it is not a woven cotton material. That's a whole other story. Uh, That is covered in some of those um, other episodes uh, that I mentioned in the listener mail segment of our show on this topic. Uh, If you'd like to send us an email, we're at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. And you can also find us on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts and wherever else you like to get podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. 
I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.